we're going to open up the Bible. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 2. We are just getting out of this Christmas season. We were in the book of Ruth leading up to Christmas. Uh, we were in the book of Romans before that. We're getting back to Romans now next week. But on Christmas Eve, we looked at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. On Christmas Day, we looked at the last half of Matthew chapter 1, and now today we're going to look at the first part of Matthew chapter 2. And so uh, during the Christmas season, uh, a lot of characters show up in the songs that we sing. Certainly Jesus is central to all of them, but we often sing the song of wise men. Uh, A number of different songs refer to these wise men who came to worship Jesus from a far off land. And there's so many things, as we look at the account, there's only one account uh, in the Gospels that talks about these wise men coming to worship Jesus, and that is in the Gospel of Matthew. That's what we're going to look at today. And as we look at Matthew's account of the wise men coming to worship Jesus, there are always so many questions that people have. And a lot of maybe good questions, questions like, well, who exactly are these guys and how many were there? The text you'll find out as we read it today doesn't say that there were three, but most of the songs that we sing talk about three. And in the little kids' Christmas pageants, there's always three. But were there really three or were there like 15? How many of these guys were there? That'd be an interesting thing to know, wouldn't it? And if they came from the east, well, that could be China, India, Iraq. Where did these guys come from? That would be interesting to know. But as we read Scripture today, you're going to find out that the Holy Spirit did not intend for Matthew to communicate those details. And so we really can't answer those questions, right? You might also wonder, well, when did this happen? Did this happen when, when Jesus was, was uh, just a newborn? Did it happen when he was a couple months old, when he was a couple years old? Again, the Holy Spirit didn't intend for Matthew to communicate those details with us, so we can't say for sure. And what about that star? Maybe you're into astronomy, and so you wonder, like, is that star still a star that we can see today? Was it a star that just showed up at that time? Was it actually a planet? Was it a comet? What was it? Again, interesting detail, but the Holy Spirit didn't intend for Matthew to communicate that to his people. And so, all those things being very interesting, what we want to focus on this morning is what did the Holy Spirit have Matthew communicate to his first audience and then also to us? You might remember, as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, that Matthew was a disciple of Jesus who was writing to Jewish people. And he was writing to Jewish people to try to communicate to them, to let them know that Jesus was their Messiah, that he is the promised one, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the heir to all of God's promises, is this person, Jesus. So the big idea for today's sermon is this, Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by us and by people from all nations. Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by us and by people from all nations. Inside your bulletin, There's a spot for you to take some sermon notes, so I'd encourage you to get that out if that's helpful for you to follow along in that way. On the back side of that, uh, this is a message that I think is filled with all sorts of application for us. I would encourage you to take some time as you try and get ready for this new year to go through that application guide 
after the sermon today at some point. We're going to read, though, Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you're able to, our custom is that we stand as we read the Word of God. And I know we've stood a lot, uh, but we're going to do that again anyway if you're able to. We're going to read this morning from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to pray first, and then we'll read God's Word. Father, we've prayed a lot already that you would come by your Holy Spirit. And as we just sang, that you would awaken our hearts, that you would illumine our minds, and that Jesus Christ would be magnified. Pray that that would happen as your word is read right now and as I preach it. Your spirit can accomplish that, and I pray that you would. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's read God's word. From Matthew chapter 2, God's word says this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Well, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Well, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Well, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You can be seated. I, uh, I'm so excited uh, to spend a little bit of time in this. Like I said, I think there is so much for application for us. And I don't want us to get lost in all of the details of those things that I mentioned earlier. I want us to see clearly what it is that Matthew is communicating here. And so, first point is this, that wise men from the east want to worship Jesus. We see that right in the beginning. Now, we're told at the beginning, we're kind of giving a setting, Right? So the setting for this is this is taking place in Bethlehem. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Remember that that's important because it's going to show up again later in the text. You might remember, those of you who have been here the last few weeks, as we've been going through the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, telling us of events that took place over a thousand years before the birth of Christ. Remember where Ruth was an immigrant to? Bethlehem, right? came to the little town of Bethlehem as an immigrant. Uh, she eventually gets married to Boaz. They give birth to Obed, who gives birth to Jesse, who gives birth to David. And Jesus is born in the line of David to be the king. Right? So it's important that, this, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And so Matthew mentions it again. 
And then he tells us the time frame in which this happened. He said it was in the days of Herod the king. Now, people who were reading Matthew's gospel, this would have been uh, happening just not too long before them. They might have heard of the stories of Herod the king. Who Now, this was about at the end of his reign. Jesus was born near the end of Herod's reign. And Herod, towards the end of his reign, had become increasingly paranoid and even violent, even toward his own family. So it was kind of a a tumultuous time in the life of Herod the king, and therefore, since he was the king, in the life of these people. And then we're told in verse 1, still that wise men came from the east. Again, not telling us where in the east, but some wise men came from the east. It might say in your translation, magi. These people were astrologers. They were respected by people for the most part at that time as people who studied the heavens, studied the stars, and learned much as they did that. So that's who these men are coming from some eastern nation. And verse 2 tells us of their purpose. Why were these guys coming? Well, they asked the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're not referring to Herod. They're looking at for one who has been more recently born. They already know that Herod's the king of the Jews at this point as they are in Jerusalem. right? But they're wondering, there's been one who has recently been born king of the Jews. We're looking for him, and what is their intent? Their intent already, they say right at the beginning, we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So that is the intent. We have some wise men from the east who look at stars who intend to come and worship this newborn king of the Jews. And so they go to the logical place, Jerusalem, where they expect that maybe they'll find a king. Now, not everybody that we see in this account intends to worship Jesus. So I want us to look at how the different people intend to respond to Jesus. Herod doesn't intend to worship Jesus. He says he does, but he doesn't. So other people don't intend to worship Jesus. We're going to see that in verses 3 through 8. What about this Herod Herod guy? Not Harold. um, Herod. Herod's a more uh, common name. Herod is troubled by Jesus and hostile toward Jesus. So wise men come, and they wanted more information so that they could worship Jesus. Now Herod, he gets a little bit curious, and he wants some more information too. He wants to learn a little bit more, and so we read this in verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Okay, because if the king ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? And so when he's troubled, they know, they've seen, he's kind of paranoid, Uh, He's become violent, and so when the king is troubled, this is troubling for everybody else as well. So here, King Herod is troubled when he hears this news. Verse 4, so he gets some more information. He assembles the chief priests and the scribes of the people. He gets the religious leaders together, and he asks them the question, Okay, this Christ, remember which means anointed one or Messiah? Like, where's this Christ going to be born? You need to tell me this. I don't know this information, but some guys just showed up. They want to worship this new king of the Jews. You need to tell me where is he going to be born. You guys have the books and stuff, right? You guys have the scrolls. You know this kind of stuff. I don't know this. Can you please tell me? 
Now, I'm going to get to verses 5 and 6, their answer here in a little bit. But I want to stick with Herod for a second. So we're going to skip ahead to verses 7 and 8. If you look ahead to verse 7 and 8, verse 7 says this. So then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Now, he's going to get information on where this baby was to be born. That's what we're going to look back at in verses 5 and 6. But now he finds these wise men, the one who had come to worship him. And Herod, the king, talks directly to these guys. And he wants them to tell him, when did this star appear? Because he's got a plan, which we're going to see later on. We're not going to get there, but later on in chapter 2, you're going to see that his plan is that he would have all of the children, all of the boys, under a certain age in Bethlehem, killed. That's his plan. He doesn't say that's his plan because that would sound cruel. And so he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. That's not his intent. Herod is troubled by Jesus. Jesus represents a threat to Herod's way of life. And so Herod's response to Jesus is not one of worship, but it's one of hostility. Now, there are some others. I skipped over verses 5 and 6, but I want to go back there now. There are some religious leaders. These religious leaders seem to be quite knowledgeable about Jesus. But I think they're unaffected by Jesus. It's possible, isn't it? To be knowledgeable about Jesus, but unaffected by Jesus. So these guys know their stuff. When Herod asks them, where is the Christ going to be born? They went to Awana or something because they know. They know the answer. They're like, I know that. I know this one. They raised their hand in Sunday school. I I know the answer. You want to know where the Christ is going to be born? Well, it's written by the prophet, and they're referring to the prophet Micah, who prophesied 700 years before this time, okay? And this is a quote from the book of Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The prophecy of Micah, which these guys knew, told them that a ruler and a shepherd would come from Bethlehem. They knew this. Now, this wasn't all they knew. These chief leaders, these religious leaders, they didn't just have the little scroll of Micah. They had access to all of God's law and prophets, the whole, what we call now the Old Testament. They had access to all of that. And all of that is intended to point them to Jesus. They know all sorts of stuff. But their intent is not to worship Jesus. We don't see that anywhere in the text. They know some answers, but they're not rushing to go out and worship Jesus. It seems like they're unaffected by Jesus. It's very possible to be very knowledgeable about Jesus, but totally unaffected by Jesus. And then we do have this other group. So we have the wise men who want to worship Jesus, the religious leaders who know stuff about Jesus, it seems, but are unaffected by it, and Herod who is troubled and hostile toward Jesus. 
But remember the wise men, they came to worship Jesus. So now we got to, are they going to do it? Are they going to find him? And are they going to worship him? And that's what we see in verses 9 through 12. And then we're going to spend some time on some application. Verses 9 through 12, in verse 9 we read this. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now you might wonder like I do, how in the world did that happen? How does, now it's about an hour walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. Okay, So they're in Jerusalem, and this star that had led them all the way to Jerusalem now is going to somehow lead them to the specific place in Bethlehem where Jesus is. And so this is where people start to guess. All these, like, was, it, was it a comet? Was it a planet? Matthew doesn't tell us. And all I know is this, that the God who told the planets and the stars where to go in the first place and created them by the word of his mouth, he can certainly do whatever he wants with a star to lead some wise men to a certain place in Bethlehem. I don't know how, but I don't doubt at all that he can do it, right? So we see that here in verse 9. Now here's what I want us to look at. In verses 10 through 12, I saw four things that tell us what worship looks like. Remember, what did the wise men come to do? They came to worship Jesus. What did it look like for the wise men to worship Jesus? I noted four things. Okay, Here's four things we see about how the wise men worship Jesus. Number one, verse 10, says this. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. These guys didn't wake up in the morning like, well, I suppose we should go worship Jesus now. It's almost 10.15, time for the worship service to start. I guess we'll get up and go today. That their, their expectation was, we're going to go find Jesus today. And we're going to worship him. And do you notice the words that Matthew uses in verse 10? It doesn't say, and they rejoiced. That would be a good word to use. But it says that they rejoiced exceedingly. And it doesn't just say they rejoiced exceedingly. It also says they had joy. But not just joy, great joy. You see all those words there in verse 10? These guys come to worship Jesus, anticipating their worship of Him. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It is time to worship this newborn king. And these guys are ready to go. They're certainly not like those religious leaders who seem to be unaffected by Jesus. They haven't even seen Jesus yet. They just saw the star that showed them where Jesus was, and they start rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. That's thing number one. Observation number two about how the wise men worship Jesus. They fall down in humble worship. Verse 11 begins this way. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. So these important men had wealth of some degree to to probably a great degree. These wealthy men get done with their long journey. Maybe you took a long journey over Christmas. It was probably easier than the journey that these wise men took, right? Because you probably traveled in some sort of vehicle. And when we arrive someplace, we often talk about the weather, how the roads were on the way or whatever. We just kind of have some small talk. Uh, We... We might uh, 
maybe if you were a, a wise man, uh, a wise man, if you were a wise man, if you were one of these magi, you might be uh, kind of tempted to explain to them, here's, here's my credentials. This is, this is who I am. Do you recognize? As they come to this simple house with a simple woman and her new husband and this little child, they don't come to explain their credentials. They come before Jesus, and what do they do? They fall down and worship Him. These important men at the feet of a simple little family, new husband and wife and a little child, and they come before Him, these important men, and they fall down and worship Him. Falling down in humble worship is the way that they worship Jesus. Three out of four is this. They give Him treasures. It says at the last half of verse 11, Then opening their treasures, they offered Him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They gave Him things that were treasured, very treasured, very expensive. They didn't just kind of like give Him some token gift like you do for some of those people in your family. Like, well, I suppose I need to get them something for Christmas. And so I'm just going to like, I don't know, I'll give them a gift card. Right? I'll just give them a gift card because I don't know what else to give them. No, these guys came and they brought things of great value, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they offer their gifts to this young child. Give them their treasures. And then the fourth thing is this. They take a risk by ignoring the king and going back to their eastern nation. Did you notice that in verse 12? And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. Remember, Herod said, why don't you, when you find him, come back and tell me, because I want to worship him too. Right? And they disobey the king. If they would have obeyed the king, they might have been rewarded greatly for it. Right? He might have given them plenty of stuff to go on their trip back home. If they disobey the king, they might be punished for it. But verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. They didn't go through Jerusalem. They just went home. Matthew's gospel is written, remember, to Jewish people. And it would have been so shocking. Now, you might like remember all these details about shepherds and all that kind of stuff. That's in Luke's account. In Matthew's account, there are no shepherds. right? He doesn't include that detail. In Matthew's account, this gospel written to Jewish people, how shocked would they have been to find out that the first per- people to come and worship Jesus in Matthew's gospel are wise men from the east, foreigners, Gentile astrologers are coming to worship this newborn king. Religious leaders, they're still hanging out in Jerusalem. Jewish people seem unaffected by this at this point, but these foreign Gentile astrologers travel across nations to come and give expensive gifts to this king. This would have been shocking for Matthew's first readers. But Matthew's trying to get the point across to the Jewish people all throughout the gospel that this Messiah, Jesus, he is your Messiah, but he has come to be a blessing to all the nations of the world. That's why the gospel of Matthew ends with the Great Commission, that you will go and make disciples of all nations. 
The first people that come and worship Jesus are people from all nations, and the gospel of Matthew ends with Jesus saying, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah, but he is the Messiah. He is the King and the Savior for all peoples. Matthew wants us to know that. And the wise men come to worship him, and then they go home to the nations. Here's what I want us to think about, church. Will we worship Jesus in 2017? I don't know what your plans are. Maybe you've got great plans for how you're going to eat better, how you're going to exercise more, how you're going to be more disciplined with money, with time, all that stuff. Great. Glad you have a plan. But here's what I'm hoping for. That we would be people who here today on the first day of January 2017, that we would be people who would commit ourselves in our hearts and in our minds to spending this year worshiping Jesus. Because it is possible for us to respond to Jesus, not like the wise men, but like other people in this story. Let me go at that first. And then we'll look at what the wise men did. Remember there was that group of people, the religious leaders, who were knowledgeable but unaffected? Church? Listen, this is dangerously possible. It is dangerously possible for you. Of course, it's fitting for some of you that you're here on January 1st because you're here every Sunday. You've been in church every Sunday for as long as you can remember. You've got parts of the Bible memorized. You knew the story today before I told it. You know the songs that we're singing. You're a church person. You might be very knowledgeable about Jesus, but listen. It is possible for us to be knowledgeable about Jesus, but to be unaffected by Jesus. Is that you? Think about it for a second. Is that you? Jesus was speaking to a church. Often this passage gets used out of context, but Jesus was speaking to a church in the book of Revelation. And here's what he said to the people in the church, and I want you to hear this. He said this, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's possible to be knowledgeable about Jesus but unaffected by him, living a lukewarm kind of life. And Jesus says these hard words, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus said lots of hard things to those who acted like they had it all together, who might have looked on the outside like really well-rounded religious people. Jesus told them this in Matthew chapter 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, to people who thought, I think I'm right with Jesus. And in Revelation, the word to them is, Because you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. In Matthew 7, the word to them is, Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I never knew you. 
or maybe later in Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus is talking to some very religious people. Oh, they're really religious. They know lots of stuff. And here's what Jesus says to them, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. You need to hear this, church. These are hard words to hear, but we need to hear it. Because I think it's totally possible that there are some, maybe even many of you here today, who know a lot about Jesus. You've been doing this church thing for a long time, but if you are outright honest, you're lukewarm. You are unaffected by Jesus. You can't remember the last time you opened up God's Word and read it and cried or smiled or had some sort of response to it in some way. You can't remember the last time you were gathered together with God's people and you heard God's Word preached or you sang a song and you got goosebumps because you know lots of stuff about Jesus, but you're unaffected by Him. And if that's you, I would implore you in the way that Jesus talked to that same church, that lukewarm church in Revelation chapter 3, here's what Jesus said to them. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Hear that invitation. If you are somebody who has knowledge of Jesus and you've been doing religious things for quite some time, but you are unaffected by Jesus, the word to you is be zealous and repent. Behold, He stands at the door and knocks. Open it up. Let Him in. There's other people. Maybe this is you and you needed to hear that word today. There's other people as well in this story, who responded to Jesus like Herod. Herod was troubled by Jesus. Why was Herod troubled by Jesus? Because Jesus represented a threat to his way of life. Maybe that's you. Maybe you wouldn't be the kind of person who says, I'm a Christian. Maybe you're just here today because you're here with family, or you're just here because it's just what you do. But your response to Jesus is more like Herod's. The idea of you submitting yourself, of falling on your face in worship of Jesus doesn't sound all that attractive because He would be a threat to your way of life. Let me tell you this. If that's you, if you are one who is troubled by Jesus and has not yet submitted to Him, this is, I'm sharing hard words like, wow, that's a happy new year. But listen, God sent Jesus to come once. And he came initially as a helpless baby. But we're told that he's going to send his son again. And in Revelation chapter 19, it tells us what that's going to be like. Revelation 19 says this, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is Jesus. He's coming again. 
and it's not going to be as a baby, continues, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a picture of the second coming of Christ. And if you are one who, like Herod, is opposed to Jesus, you need to hear this. Because the message is repent or be crushed. He is not a weak God and He is not an unjust God. He will not allow sinful rebellion to continue forever. But these are hard words. If you are one who is knowledgeable but unaffected by Jesus, repent. And if you are one who is opposed to Jesus, repent. But some of you are here today, and you would say, you have a heart, you have an intent like that of the wise men. What was their intent Did we see in verse 2? They wanted to come to worship this king of the Jews. Some of you, that's, you're coming into 2017 and that's you. My intent in the year 2017 is to spend my life worshiping Jesus. What might that look like? I'm going to propose to you that maybe it looks exactly the way it does for the wise men. We looked at four things. I want to apply those four things to us and then be done. Those four ways in which the wise men worshipped him were this. They sought him diligently. They made a travel, made a trek from wherever they were from all the way to Jerusalem because they were seeking out this newborn king of the Jews so that they could worship him. Thankfully, you ain't going to have to get on a camel to worship Jesus in 2017. You're not going to have to strap up your stuff and go across the desert and the mountains to go and find Jesus. Where do we find Jesus? Not in a house somewhere in Bethlehem. We find Jesus in his word. His word reveals himself to us. So, I would ask you, do you have a plan for the year 2017? If your end goal is to worship Jesus, do you have a plan to seek Him diligently by opening up the Word of God? Do you have a plan to read the Bible this year? Maybe you haven't really made a practice of that. Maybe you've done it in the past. Do it. Yesterday, it's it's okay, it's fake. Um, Yesterday, I got done with my Bible reading plan for the year of 2016 at like, 7 o'clock in the morning. Kind of cutting it close, but I got it done. And now today, I'm going to start a new one for the year. Uh, That's my goal is that I want to read through the Bible each year because as I do that, I've been quoting a lot from Revelation. It's because over the last couple weeks, that's what I've been reading, the book of Revelation as I got to the end of my Bible reading plan. So helpful for me to just continually being in all sorts of different parts of God's Word. On the table out there, on your way out, there's three different kinds of Bible reading plans. If you need a plan to help you with that, take one of those with you. Okay? Be in God's Word. Seek Him diligently this year. And then get together with God's people. Make it a commitment. Make it a priority this year that you would get together with God's people. There's lots of options. I get that. On Sunday morning, there's lots of options but would you make it a priority that I'm going to be together with God's people on Sunday morning? And maybe not just at 10, 15, but I'm going to start coming at 9 o'clock because there's Sunday school. And if I get one more hour, I, like it's not, you don't even have to wake up early. 9 o'clock's late. 
come and spend an hour worshiping Jesus. In your bulletin, there's information about the two new adult Sunday school classes that are going to start next week. Come and do it. You want to be in a life group? I'd encourage you to do that. Information in the bulletin about that too. Get together with God's people. Will we seek Him diligently in 2017? Second thing. Remember there's four. Second thing that the, the, the wise men did, they humbled themselves to worship Jesus. Will we do that? Will we humbly worship Him with great joy this year? Will we fall down and worship? Will we say, I'm not going to be like those lukewarm Christians in Laodicea. I'm not going to be like those religious leaders who knew lots of stuff about Jesus but didn't worship Jesus. No, this year I will ask Jesus to come and mess with my heart. That I might be a person who would humbly worship Him with great joy. Third thing, will we give our treasures? Will we give our treasures? Remember, that's what the wise men came to do, right? They laid out not just a token like, oh, I'm going to get you a gift card, but they gave stuff of great value. And why do we give stuff of great value as an offering? Why do we do that? I think we do that to remind ourselves that Jesus is a greater treasure than anything else that we have. Do you expect to get an income in 2017? In some form. Will you, will you, what if we actually believed that, that by, by taking the income that we receive and giving it for the purpose of the advance of the gospel locally and globally, what if we believed that that was one of the most important things that we could ever give our money to? That more and more people would come to know Jesus and be discipled. There's lots of things that we as a church, as church leaders, we're always thinking about the future. What is going to be next? So we've got this idea of how we need to do some significant repairs in our parking lot. Okay, That costs a lot of money. Well, what if people were just like, hey, God's given me a lot, so I'm just going to start giving a lot. Every year we can pay our bills. That's always what's happened. But we're looking at other things like, what about having another pastor on staff who could disciple more people, who could disciple more people to expand the outreach that we have here locally? What if that were, well, yeah, that would be, that would be great. We could do that, but our giving is always kind of just right at our budget. And if we're going to do that, we need to increase our budget. What, what, if, what, if all, like, what if we actually believed that one of the most important things that we could spend money on, all the money that ultimately comes from God and is God's anyway, that we would use it for the advance of the gospel. So maybe you just need to sit down at the beginning of this new year. Uh, like, I got a raise. I get paid by the church. Uh, so thank you uh, for that. That's how I get income, by your giving. I appreciate that. And extra gifts on top of that. You are so kind and generous. And, and I'm getting more in 2017 than I got in 2016. So what it looks like for us, I'm going to do a little budget thing, and I'm going to make a determination right now. Here's what we're going to give this year, and we might give over and above that as well. But we're going to do that based on what is coming in. We make a commitment ahead of time. Maybe you need to do that this year. Okay? Um, just, I think, one very practical way that we worship Jesus is we give of our treasures. And then finally, will we go to all peoples? Will we go to all peoples? The wise men, after they were done worshiping Jesus, they went back home. It might have cost them something, right? They didn't get a reward from King Herod, and they might have been hunted down by King Herod in some way. We don't know. because They disobeyed his orders, and he was the king. But they went home to a people that didn't know Jesus. 
What if that was us? What if, we've sung this song before, and I was thinking of the lyrics to it. We who rejoice to know Thee, renew before Thy throne. Our solemn pledge we owe Thee to go and make Thee known. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save than Jesus Christ the Lord. So I'm not saying that you're going to like, this is the year where you sign up and you're leaving the country. Maybe. But I am saying that we can go back as the wise men did to their own people. And your own people are the people in your family, the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with. Now we would go and we would spread the good news of Jesus in those places. Church, this is, this is my desire coming into this new year, that I would be the kind of person who worshiped Jesus in 2017. And that's my desire for us, that we would be people that worship Jesus above all else in 2017. That we would have this desire that all glory and honor and praise would go to Jesus in 2017. And so here's how we're going to close today. We're going to close by singing a song, which is what we often do. But it's a new song to us, but I think you're going to catch on pretty quick. Because it's a song that uh, it's actually was originally written, uh, this, this song. It was a Scottish poem. Okay? And the Scottish poem was put to the, the tune of a Scottish folk song. And people across the globe, many of them probably drunk last night, sang this song. Uh, and we're not going to sing that song. Uh, but they sang this song, Auld Lang Syne. Right? A lot of people sing that at New Year's. Nobody knows exactly why we sing that Scottish folk song uh, on New Year's. But lots of people do it. So it's to the tune of that song. But a couple of years ago... Some people thought, well, what a great song to take and to use that familiar tune and put new words to it. Now, these words, almost all of them come right out of Scripture. Uh, and so I want us to see them before we sing them and th- because it's new to us, and then we're going to sing it together. So I'm going to show us the words to this song, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song together. And that's how we'll close our time. Listen to these great words. Should nothing of, think about this, as we come into this new year. Should nothing of our efforts stand, no legacy survive. Unless the Lord does raise this house, in vain its builders strive. To you who boast tomorrow's gain, tell me, what is your life? A mist that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. His will be done, his kingdom come, on earth as is above. Who is himself our daily bread, praise him, the Lord of love. Let living water satisfy the thirsty without price. We'll take a cup of kindness yet. All glory be to Christ. And when on that day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the Lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new, behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall ere His people be. All glory be to Christ. And the chorus that we'll sing a couple times is this. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign we'll ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. that some wise men 
from the east came to worship Jesus. I thank you that your Holy Spirit inspired Matthew to put this account in his gospel so that we might hear it today. And I pray that if your spirit has been at work in the hearts of some here, for those that are maybe hostile to Jesus or those that are knowledgeable about Jesus but unaffected by Him, they're lukewarm, that today they would repent. And that for those of us who desire to worship Jesus in 2017, that it would be not just words that we're singing because they're on a screen, but it would be the desire of our hearts that all glory would be to Christ that we would spend our lives worshiping Him, seeing glory go to Him and to Him alone, because He alone is worthy of it. I pray that Jesus would be magnified in our singing and in our living. In Jesus' name, amen.